0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for December 30th, 2007. And we're going to pick up where we just left off with um, this expose on Catherine Kuhlman. So in Denver, Kuhlman's ministry experienced an early setback. According to Wikipedia, in the mid-1930s, Kuhlman met an evangelist named Burroughs A. Waltrip, whom she invited to preach at the Denver Tabernacle when she was the founder and pastor. Again, what an abomination. Waltrip left his wife and two sons to form a professional alliance with Kuhlman. Oh, that's biblical. He left his wife and two sons. Now, remember, the Bible says the person, if he's a pastor or bishop or or these types of things, is to be the husband of one wife. Well, he already had a wife. But he left his wife in order to form a professional alliance with Kuhlman. Even if he was biblically, uh, uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say this Waltrip guy was biblically qualified up until this time, and he let, he met Coolman and the seducing spirits that emanate and operate through that witch, seduced him. He left his wife and his two sons to perform to form a professional alliance with Coolman. He has just totally disqualified himself from all ministry. He has. I mean, I don't see any evidence of him or Penny. And then it says, and after his divorce was final, he married her in October 1938. Now, Kuhlman was already totally disqualified, as we've seen. But now she marries a adulterer, and, and they go and they form their own... What an abomination. How could God bless something like that? This resulted in the deterioration of Kuhlman's ministry. Well, see, today it probably wouldn't... But back then, they had a little more, as far as standards and things like this. Maybe they read their Bibles a little closer. This resulted in the deterioration of Pullman's ministry, and in Waltrips wall as well, in Mason City, Iowa. They left Mason City and traveled throughout the country, always dogged by news about their past. They should be. They should be. I mean, wh- why isn't Paul Crouch dogged by that whole thing about how he had that... Uh, that gay uh, lover, that black guy that, that he was with that was 20 or 30 years younger than him. That Lonnie Ford, I think was his name or something. Well documented in the papers. Not not really nationally well documented. Like Ted Haggard or uh, Jimmy Swaggart or one of these guys. But he's the head of TBN. I think that he had a maybe more of a deal with the whole uh, establishment. Yeah. But this was his chauffeur, this was his limousine driver. His, his, his drug addict, prison, uh, he was in prison. I believe, that, I believe that Lonnie Ford guy was also a child molester. I put out a whole report on this. But do you think there's any public outcry? I don't hear it. But see, back then they had a little more, hopefully, discernment in, in, in these types of things. So it says, they left Mesa City and traveled throughout the country, always dogged by news about their past. Coolman finally left Waltrip in 1944, and in 1948, Waltrip divorced Coolman, Moving to Franklin, Pennsylvania, Catherine put the marriage behind her, and thereafter presented herself as Miss Coolman. <sighs> she should be hiding her, her head in shame. How many ways can one be totally unbiblically qualified to be a pastor? Or actually, really disqualified to be a pastor. How many ways could, can you count <laughs> that she has no right to be doing what she's doing? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, that I'm sure to, to good old Coolman, who was going by her heart, who was not going by the Bible, who said, who was probably going by what she felt the Holy Spirit was speaking to her. See, this is a reason that, that a lot of particularly Pentecostals and Catholics, or not Catholics, but, well, Catholics too in a way, but the Pentecostals and the Charismatics heavily emphasize this whole Holy Spirit experience. And by doing that, if they get a voice in their head that they deem as the Holy Spirit, whatever that voice is telling them to do, they'll do it. Even if it contradicts the Bible. Now, one of the main things that got me out of the Pentecostal movement is I had all these people coming up to me, giving me words of knowledge. Oh, Brother Johnson, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I would act on it, most of the time. And I've never had one time where they were right. I would act on things, and they were totally wrong. And I thought to myself, you're a false prophet. You do not, I mean, you're going around saying you're hearing from God, and yet what you're telling me didn't come to pass. In fact, it was totally false. You're a false prophet. According to Deuteronomy 18, the test of a prophet, I mean, if, they, if what they say, it better come to pass, if it's of God, it better come to pass every time. And it better line up with the word of God. Because you could go to a psychic and it could come to pass, but that's forbidden. That's a forbidden spear in the Bible. Necromancy and all this other stuff. Fortune telling. It's all, it's all. So, I got very disenchanted. I started looking at this and I'm thinking, well, these people aren't hearing from God. They're deceived. I wasn't going around giving words of knowledge to anybody. God had mercy on me. I'm glad, I'm glad that, that I, I saw that. Because that was one of the main things that the Lord showed me to see that these were very incredibly deceived people. And people like Benny Hinn and all these other people make all these false prophecies. And all these Pentecostal ministries, they all do it. And this stuff doesn't come to pass in the time frame. Because many times they're very specific. And yet they continue to follow these people. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you follow somebody that's giving out things that are, that are not coming to pass, not true? They're deceiving you. Well, they're so sincere. They have this big ministry. I've put so much time and effort and money into this. They're really good people. No, they're not. They're deceiving you. They're devils. And you shouldn't be putting your money into these types of ministries either. Because you're going to be accountable for that. So, this is a big thing that goes on with these movements. And uh, so much of it emphasizes the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this in a second. Let's go a little bit further here. It was there at at the Franklin Church in 1946. Now, I guess she, she moved to Franklin, Pennsylvania... She put her marriage behind her, she therefore after that called herself Miss Coolman. Why did she call herself Pastor Kuhlman? She probably did. It was there at the Franklin Church in 1946 when it was claimed that a woman was healed of a tumor while attending one of Kuhlman's services, and which in turn would become a key ingredient in her well known miracle services. According to Kuhlman, it was Franklin, it was in Franklin, Pennsylvania, in the old Billy Sunday tabernacle. I had gone to Franklin by faith in 1946. Oh yeah, of course. See, that's the, again, I'm, I'm, I've said it before, but they always emphasize God led me to do it. Yeah, God led you to give out all those false prophecies. God led you to preach as a woman. God led you to do all these... He, God led you to, to, to marry uh, a totally, unbiblically divorced man. It Left his wife and his kids. God led you to do that, right, Catherine? You're really hearing from the Holy Spirit... But see, this is the danger of getting away from the Word of God. Because when you get away from the Word of God, it's always going to be about your heart. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 16, verse 3. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. See, for Catherine, well, my ways are clean in my own eyes. Why? Because your heart's telling you to do that, Catherine. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. Well, I guess that doesn't matter to those people. It doesn't either. Trust me, I've been around enough of them to know. They think they're hearing from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells them to do something. And it doesn't come to pass. They just forget it. They act as though it never even happened. They have this unbelievable ability to just forget all these things they supposedly heard from the Holy Spirit because their their flesh is constantly being tickled. They're constantly being feeling so special because the Holy Spirit's speaking to them and all the stuff that the Holy Spirit's supposedly telling them, so much of it's unbiblical. So much of it doesn't come to pass. How could it be from God? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't speak to somebody. I'm just saying if it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, it's going to line up with the Bible, and it's going to come to pass, if it's some type of prediction. I don't see it happening very much. Sorry. So, let's see here. If we go further... I had gone by Franklin, by faith, in 1946. This is Catherine Coleman saying this. Not knowing what I would find there. It was the third service. I was preaching on the Holy Spirit. Sharing with the people the little that I knew about the third person of the Trinity. Well, you, you, you didn't know a whole lot. That's true. The third person of the Trinity. A woman stood up and testified to healing of a tumor. That was the first healing that took place in this ministry. Now... If it was an internal tumor, how did she know she just got healed? Did she have a tingly in there? And all of a sudden, well, it's gone. I was listening to this guy yesterday on, um, that guy that started the Malcolmich, uh, the one on the Hallelujah Diet. I've done a whole teaching to refute his. And he said, the the, the interviewer from ABC was saying, well, he said, supposedly this all started when you said that you went to this purely vegetarian diet and you were you were healed of a colon tumor. He says, did you ever get the colon tumor verified? Well, no. He says, "Well, how do you even know it was there?" Well, I just believe that it was, but you never got it medically verified. No. Well, then what was it? Your opinion. And then he goes on to say, "You say that this Bible, this this diet is biblical, and it's not. We've proven that with all the verses in the Bible." And he quotes them. This guy, the verse about um, in um, Genesis nine or, or eight or nine, where when Noah got off the the ark. God said, you know, every creeping thing and, and these types of things can be your food and these types of things. And, in other words, you could eat meat at that point. Do you know what Malcolmus said? He says, well, he said, that was only because God was giving them a reprieve for a time period. Because, see, all they had were animals on the ark. And they had to eat the animals because there was no food when they got off the ark until the plants could grow up, so they had to eat the animals. See, there's only one problem with that. If Noah ate all the animals, and those animals were the only animals on earth, where did all the animals come from that are on here today? (laughs) This is how asinine his argument was. It was ludicrous. Now, the guy that was questioning him, I really wish he would have brought that up, but he probably didn't know quite enough about the Bible to bring that up. It's just just an absolute logical question you would ask after that. So Noah got this temporary reprieve to eat animals, because that's the only, that's the only uh, thing they had on the ark left to eat. That was Malcolmus' that devil's ploy in order to get people to become vegan vegetarians, saying that this is the way God only intends us to eat. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The most unhealthy people that I know are, ve- are vegetarians. Absolutely, most of them are heavily involved in yoga. My mom has a lot of friends like that. They're all vegans they all have big dark circles under their eyes. their skin hangs off them, and Malcolmus looks terrible. He's in his 70s, but he looks like he's about 100. You cannot get the proper things in your diet being a strict vegetarian. It's almost impossible. So, sorry, I got off on that rabbit trail, but I wanted to mention that in some way, shape, or form. And please, listen to my teaching on the Hallelujah Diet. You can scan through my articles, you'll find it. And we're going to biblically refute that whole thing, you know... With all the Bible verses that he so aptly chooses to ignore. He's also starting his own, essentially, I believe they called it almost like a commune up there. In in, uh, North or South Carolina, wherever he's at on Hallelujah Acres. They're going to build condos and houses and all this stuff. He's going to have his own little cult. He's going to have his own little on-site cult now. Isn't that special? Well, he's a cult leader as far as I'm concerned. The Reverend Malcolmus. He's a charlatan. So, if we go further with this thing on uh, Catherine Kuhlman, this was the first healing that took place in her ministry. It happened without any laying on of hands, without any special prayer. It just happened as a woman sat in the audience while preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. Since that time, there have been thousands and thousands of healings. Oh, we're going to discuss that. That there's been thousands and thousands of healings, just like Benny Hinn. What is the secret? It is... She says, it's the third person of the Trinity. And this was, this was, according to Kuhlman, there's been thousands and thousands of healings. So yeah, I would definitely go to a demon-possessed woman to get a straight answer. Yeah, that, that's where I'm going to really get the, the right answer. She said, what's the secret? It is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is not to be glorified. Let's read where it talks about this. John 16, verse 13. How about this? Is Jesus Christ talking? How about when He, the Spirit of Truth, this is the Holy Spirit, when He has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. It says He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. This is the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within us when we get saved as born again Christians. John 16, 14. He shall glorify me, meaning the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. Not the Holy Spirit will glorify himself. It says, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is not here to glorify himself. It's very, very clear in that in scripture. But the Pentecostals have turned... Worshipping the Holy Spirit And almost like their own little pseudo Thing that they do Now I praise the Lord Jesus Christ For the Holy Spirit okay? But again everything is to be done In decency and in order And biblically So if we go further it says From the Franklin church Kuhlman soon moved to Pittsburgh Where by the late 1946 She was holding on average 125 healing meetings Per year According to Kuhlman's website, it was on January 4th, 1948, that the first Catherine Kuhlman Miracle Service was held in Carnegie Hall, Northside, the first, Carnegie Hall, she's made it to the big time now, the first of many such services to be held regularly over the years of her ministry in Pittsburgh. Those meetings followed a certain pattern, which even in later years was kept on television. After, um... So this is, let's see here, this is, this is according to the testimony on, on one website. Quote, after a fantastic organ prelude, Catherine would appear, see they've got to set the mood. You know, it's got to have the right mood, because everybody's got to be in that emotional fervor in order to get in the right mood. After a fantastic organ prelude, Catherine would appear on the stage dressed in a long blue or white robe. She'll probably look like a guru up there or something, you know? I've seen pictures of her. There's a picture at the start that she looked like a witch. She looked evil. She talked evil. If you've ever heard sound bites of her, she talks like a ghoul. I mean, it is scary stuff. She could have been in any Boris Karloff horror movie as one of the main characters. She would have made a great vampire character, like a female vampire type of one. If you think about it. Anyway. And then this website goes on to say. Quote. Everyone would stand up. She would say. How glad I am to have you all here. Let me drink your blood. No, no. I'm sorry. I left that last part out. But it sounds like something she would want to say. You know. How glad I am to have you all here. The Holy Spirit will perform a great work among you. Notice. It's always about the Holy Spirit. Where is Jesus Christ getting glorified in this? He's not. The Holy... It's it's as though... It's as though the... And I don't even like saying this, but she treated the Holy Spirit like her own little pet... pet dog or something. Where the Holy Spirit will perform a great work among you. Like she has the power to manipulate the Holy Spirit on what is going to happen. He will, because I say He will. The atmosphere was heightened by an introductory hymn sung by thousands of expectant people And again, it's no different than the Catholics wanting a line, sign, and wonder. This was followed by prayer and a short sermon. Yeah, you talk about probably a real short sermon. A real, you know, sermon snippet. Is probably all they were hearing. Then Catherine would suddenly announce, Up there, in the second row of the balcony, A man has just been healed of cancer. Oh, like you could verify that. Yeah. Okay. Please come down to the platform. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to say 100% for sure she was doing this, but that one guy, uh, Robert Tilden, I believe, he's the most nauseating of all these televangelists I have ever, ever seen. He is the most nauseating, whatever you want to call him, preacher, pastor, I've ever seen. And he has one of those healing ministries, and he sends out the anointed, you know... Prayer cloths and, and the in the in the, the anointed uh, oil vials that you can hang on your keychain and and it 's the same oil that he prayed over and you know and he, if you order one of these items and you bring it in your house you 've just brought in your house a cursed uh, object I would recommend burning it you know at bare minimum and um, they he was flat out caught with an earpiece in his ear and what would happen is is these people would file into the church and On some of them, they would get case histories. In other words, what's your problem? What are you here for? Well, bless God, I'm I'm here to get my acute lymphedemia cured or some remote disease. And they would have people stationed up in the church to, to see and monitor where these people were seated. That would then in turn be piped into Tilden's earpiece, and he would be able to call these people out, sometimes by name, according to their specific malady, and say, oh, brother, you know, you've just been this or that. And the person would have an adrenaline rush, obviously, when they heard their name, and temporarily be able to stand up out of their wheelchair, or stand up and say, oh wow, my cancer is healed. How would they know? Unless you get it medically verified. Now, I'm not saying the Lord's not not strong enough to do any of this. I know He is. Okay? Praise the Lord. I'm saying, though, if it's of the Lord, it's really going to happen, and it's really going to stay that way. It's not going to just come back the next day, or they're not going to go get checked out. But, well, you're never really healed in the first place. Which is essentially what happens here with these crusade meetings. And these people still continue to follow them. Benny Hinn's been exposed for this many times over. Been caught doing this. Not verifying, following up on people that were supposedly healed, and these types of things. But, you know, hey, the the people like to get caught up in all that stuff, and ultimately what that tells me is it really doesn't matter if they're not getting healed. They got their, their emotions tickled for the time being. Now, I'm not saying there's not sincere people that go to these things and genuinely expecting a healing, okay? And the problem you run into is a lot of times people go and they do that and they find out the man's a charlatan and then they, then they totally turn their back on anything of God because they lump Benny Hinn, Catherine Kuhlman... Or Roberts, and all these other charlatans into the same heap and say, well, if that's God, I don't want anything to do with them." So it causes many to fall away, but you know the problem was? The problem from the very get-go, they were putting their faith and their trust in a man, which is totally unbiblical. They got what they, in some ways, deserved to get, because they were trusting in flesh. And you don't do that. And they fall away. And, but you know what? God's going to try us all. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And if that was where your faith was, well then, then you know what? Better come out now than you play a Christian all your life. You go there and play church and say, oh look at me, I'm such a great Christian. When your faith was in that man or in that ministry, it wasn't in the Word of God. You're going to fall away. You're not going to have any real roots that it talks about. The fruit that bore 30, 60, you know, 100 fold. You're not going to have any real roots. When times get tough, you're going to get blown away. Because you were not established on the rock of... You had not built your house on the rock of Jesus Christ. You'd built it on some man, or some ministry, or some whatever. Some other unbiblical doctrine that made you feel a certain way. So if we go further... Okay, so... And this, so this man had supposedly been healed of cancer. And then it says, please come down to the platform, or a girl in the 17th row has just been healed of a lung disease. Again, these are all really easy to verify during a, a healing service. Now again, wh- let me say this too, because I, I mentioned this before. If you're at one of these services, hoping and expecting to have your name called, and they called your name, and they identified something that exactly was going on with you. And you thought, oh, this is it. This is God, I know it is. And I'm not saying God's not capable of it, but I don't believe God's going to work through a devil. I'm not saying he couldn't work through a devil, but I'm saying I don't think primarily that would be the way God would work if you, if you want to be logical about things. I mean, come let us reason together, sayeth the Lord. Some of these people may be very, very sincere. But they're sincerely wrong. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, if you had your name called out, you talk about an adrenaline rush you're going to have. Now, the adrenal glands are what secrete adrenaline in the body. They also secrete the substance called epipenephrine. And, when that happened to you, I guarantee you, you would have a rush of epipenephrine, of adrenaline, these are different hormones, um... There's other hormones that your body would would also secrete that would give you a heightened sense of well-being, of energy, of things like that. It would be like having a double espresso shot, kind of. And... Okay, sorry about that. And um, so continuing it said, it would continue in the same way for several hours. In other words, she'd be calling out people from different rows and things like that, and it'd, it'd look real impressive, you know. Now... Um, if you went to a fortune teller, and that fortune teller told you something about yourself that there's no way they could have known, which is kind of what we're talking about here, because we're talking about a witch that was up at the front. I call her a witch, I really do, I, because she's she's dealing in witchcraft, charismatic witchcraft. And... um If you went to a fortune teller, now my mom's been to these people before, and I know that there's a certain element of truth here. I mean, they do get it right some of the time. Some of the better ones get it right a lot more of the time. They don't ever get it right 100% of the time, though. There are demons and devils that cohabitate around us, observing our actions 24-7 since we've been born. I'm not saying we're all walked around demon-possessed. But don't you think if you were Satan and you were a born-again Christian, he would assign more people to try to hinder your life than he would the average person that's in some bar somewhere that's just drinking? He's already got him. So who is who is Satan's real enemy on this world? True born born-again Christians. Created, you know, Holy Spirit living inside these types of things. Well, this would apply to us and it would also apply to other people that are unsaved. So they go and they have these demons that either are habitating around them or actually possessing this person. And what a fortune teller does is through the familiar spirits that they're talking to, those familiar spirits talk with the spirits that emanate and operate around this person that's sitting over there across from the crystal ball. There's communication between them that's obviously silent from our in our dimension, in our realm, but they speak it into the fortune teller's head. This is how a fortune teller can know something about a person that she's never met. I remember when my mom went to a fortune teller when sh- I was real little. She came back to me, and she said, oh, this fortune teller told me all the stuff about you that was true. She went to Key West. She got a palm read or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think she got a palm read. And she said that sh- I had, that my mom had a son, and my mom's like, yeah. And she said, and he plays baseball. And I had it was the only time in my life I had ever played baseball. I only played it for one season, when I was probably like 9 or 10. And we won the championship, I remember. First time, I got spoiled. White Sox, we won the championship. I, I wanted to throw that in there. Kind of, you know, I like, still think about those glory days. No, just kidding, just teasing. So anyway, but she knew this about me, and I'd only played baseball one time. You know, probably for a three or four month period, or four or five, and that was it. And and sh- and then she said, oh, and your son's going to grow up and he's going to help a lot of people and all this other stuff. And um, hopefully I have done that. I, I, a lot of people would say just the opposite. But um, that was very impressive to my mom and to me as well, and to, and to the casual onlooker. Okay, and there's been a lot of other things that have happened. But all these are, are familiar demonic spirits communicating with other familiar demonic spirits that the, this is how the fortune teller makes her living. Okay, and the more accurate she is, generally the larger following she'll have, as it, I guess, from a demonic standpoint should be. But this is how this works. I believe this is the same spirits that were communicating with Catherine Kuhlman. Because can we ascertain it was the Holy Spirit telling her this? If it was the Holy Spirit telling her this, why didn't the Holy Spirit first tell her, number one, you shouldn't ever be doing what you're doing. You're disqualified from being a pastor. You're disqualified from being an evangelist because you're a woman. You're not called for this, according to the Bible. Why would the Holy Spirit contradict something in the Bible? Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit establish these foundational things to Catherine Kuhlman? And I'm saying this not just about Catherine Kuhlman. I'm saying this about every... You can apply this to every single other televangelist out there. They're all in it for the money. They're all hirelings. They have no true love for the sheep. They're not saved. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do many wonderful things? And then what's God going to say to them? What's Jesus going to say to them? Depart from me, ye that work of iniquity, I never knew you. And before that it says, you shall know them by their fruits. We're examining the fruits of Catherine Kuhlman's life. There's going to be a lot of people that were televangelists in these, stand before God... And say all these things, and he's going to say, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. They were never ever saved. Scary stuff. But it's it's the case, unfortunately. It's it's how it it's it's what's gonna go down. So she would say, like in this instance, please come down to the platform, or girl in the seventeen row has just been healed of lung disease. It would continue in the same way for several hours. The people who had been healed came up to the platform Catherine would hold her hands about six inches above the head of each and pray. Then they would fall backwards to the floor, which is a little bit more impressive than the way old Benny does it, because a lot of times Benny will go up and basically slam them, you know, so they fall backward. Or, you know, it's good when he takes his coat and he waves it, and all the people go down. You know, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, there's so much for everything should be done in decency and in order, and God is not the author of confusion, and lay hands suddenly on no man. So much for all those Bible verses. So, uh... Then they would fall backwards to the floor. This is being slain in the spirit. I know I used to be a catcher at the Pentecostal things. Oh yeah, I was the big catcher. You know, I could pretty much catch about anybody. There were some... It was weird because some people were real easy to catch and some women would just drop to the floor. Usually it was women. I, I, you know... It really was. Most of the time, women were drawn more into this than men. And... You know, that's just the way it was. But with women, you know, you'd catch them, and some would just almost like buckle to the floor, and they were really hard to catch, because you have to get them under their arms. Some would fall right back into you, and then you'd lay them down, and then you had that little, if you were at a, a any kind of, uh, most of the Pentecostal churches had those those, those cloths you laid over their, you know, bottom part. So yeah, I used to, do, one time I, I, I caught a, a person, it was this, that was that guy from um, South Africa, he was there, and, and there were just people lined up all around this place, and I was catching them, and I was, I'd catch one, and I'd go to the, uh, there was only a certain amount of catchers, and this guy was going so quick, that you had to go, and you had to run, to get to the next one, so you could catch him, and I was barely able to keep up with this guy, and I caught this one, and I went down, and I ripped my pants all the way from the, from the back, I mean, I'm talking from the front of the crotch to the back of the crotch, it was bad, and I didn't know it had happened. And everybody was kind of laughing at me. And the pastor came over to me. And he pulled my shirt out. He started pulling my shirt out. He says, Scott, he says, I got one word for you. Dillard's. And he walked away. Because <laughs> I needed to go to Dillard's and buy new pants. <laughs> oh, man. That was the same guy that when I left the church over the, this King James issue, and over a lot of other things they were doing on Biblical... He shook my hand, and he looked me in the eye, and he says, don't let the devil throw you a curveball. I looked him right back, and I said, don't worry, I won't. And I never looked back. He got caught in some sex scandal, I think, within the year. And they had to move. They had to get out of the state. They went to Arizona, I believe. But anyway, um, if we go further, they would fall backwards to the floor. Two attendants would catch them as they fell. So they would not hurt themselves. Oh, you know something? If the Holy Spirit did something to you like that, this is called being slain in the Spirit, why would He do so in such a way where you would hurt yourself or have the potential of hurting yourself? Number one, there's, there's no evidence in the New Testament that this practice of being slain in the Spirit happened. I always understand the Bible that when we're, we're, we're in Christ, we have full control over our faculties. We don't lose control of ourselves. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And we don't lose... But the charismatic would have you believe something different. Well, this is some new strange doctrine. This stuff didn't take place. I mean, we wouldn't have been having this conversation a hundred years ago because this stuff wasn't going on. The Pentecostal movement really wasn't happening at this point. So this would have been a conversation or a teaching I would have never had to have done. So then why, if this is something that is, that is so biblical, why can't we trace this from when Jesus was here, through the apostles, through the early church, through the, through the martyrs, all the way up till now? Why can't we trace this whole speaking in tongues, falling backwards, being slain in the spirit, all these things? Why can't we trace that? Now I understand speaking in tongues was prevalent at the, at the beginning of the church. Okay, In order to propagate the gospel, the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after knowledge, these types of things. But at some point, that faded out as well, and the Bible predicted it would. Why can't we trace the lineage then of being slain in the Spirit all the way through up till now, to modern day? I don't see it anywhere. I don't see it in the, er- the writings of the early church fathers, or the martyrs, or these types of things, or Anabaptists, or the wall. I don't see it. Because it wasn't there. Are we better than they? Are we more holy than they? When the Bible clearly predicts that we were going to be apostasy in the end times? We need to check ourselves extra close. Anymore. Just because there's so much deception around us. So, then, the people who had been healed would lay there for 10 or 30 seconds, unconscious, on the floor. Yeah, that's biblical. When they stood up, they would say that they had a wonderful feeling. Ah, Their heart felt so good, so brimming. While I was watching, I even saw ministers falling to the floor unconscious. Ministers, hey! One of them was a Catholic priest. Oh, boy, oh boy. I don't know, that's really controversial. What would his, I don't know, what would his bishop say over him? I don't know. Kind of getting crazy. And then it says such behavior caused some to suspect that her power wasn't from the Holy Spirit. Oh, imagine that. But rather Kuhlman was a spirit spiritist. It's kind of a nice way of saying she was a witch. In one either she's a witch or she's not. And I think by the evidence of looking at her ministry, this is clearly witchcraft, what we're dealing with here. In one fan's account, Quote, in 1966, Frank, my husband, took me to... Now, these are people that are giving testimonies about this. This is their experience there. Okay? And we're going to look at all the experiences. In 1966, my husband took me to Catherine Kuhlman's Miracle Service in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We waited for hours. In a cold spring morning in May, we watched thousands of sick people gather on the steps, the yard and the street of the First Presbyterian Church, we arrived there approximately at 12 midnight, not ever imagining the direction or adventures God would take us on. Yeah. At about 4 a.m., now they had been there since 12 midnight, at about 4 a.m., I saw two huge angels, or what I believed to be angels, standing at each end of the street looking and watching over us. Their features were big and bold and strong, but also gentle like mother hens over chicks. I saw them standing there until we went into the building. I've never told anyone these things. They, they have always seemed so private to me. They were 25 feet tall and neither one of them spoke, but you could tell that they knew they, what the other one knew. You could tell they knew what the other one knew, whatever that means. They just watched. The ambulances would pull up in front of the church and attendants would unload their patients. This is how serious these supposed miracle services were. Ambulances would pull up. I don't even think they'd do that at Benny Hinn. Nurses, all dressed up in white, would assist them as they lay lifeless on the stretchers and suddenly people would disappear. I wonder if they were bringing dead people there. I don't know. Um, What I didn't know was there was a small door that opened on the street level with a makeshift ramp going under the porch and steps into the church basement. The stretchers and wheelchairs would enter there. Remember, this is the entrance underneath the church. Okay, this isn't the main church. This is where all the really, 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 really sick people were at. They were in the basement in the church. Okay? The stretchers and wheelchairs would enter there and sit in the downstairs of the church during the service. From time to time, someone would run upstairs and testify of their glorious healing that had just occurred down below. There was so much going on that time slipped by and you never got tired. People waiting out there all night were so sick. In the natural, they could have never made it. But the Holy Spirit was there giving them strength. When we saw how much the one next to us needed to be healed, we forgot about ourselves. Remember this. Okay, so the the author makes a comment here. Remember this. I believe it is an important key. Remember, she says, when we saw these other people that needed heal, we forgot got about our own little problems. Okay, not only that, all the adrenaline and epipinephrine and these types of things, um, uh, endorphins that were released in the body during things like this, these are chemical hormones that make you feel totally different when they're released in your body. They will give you a sense of euphoria. Okay, so then she says, Suddenly, the great thick oak doors were pushed open, and the crowd hurried to find a seat. It was the first time I ever waited in church all night, or to see people, or seen people run to get down on the front row. I was in amazement, and excited, and thrilled, and expectant, and scared. I did not know what to expect. I had never seen anything in my life like this. Jesus was really there. And the moment I sat down, I closed my eyes and I started to cry. I felt a light beam on my head that filled my entire body. I felt illuminated. Oh my. I felt love and security and need and grateful and special and and so unworthy and strong and weak and warm and wonderful. What? Strong and weak? Double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. I I never... I like, and like I never wanted to leave that place. Now, we've already discussed what a devil Catherine Kuhlman is. And the spirits that were operating through this false, and this woman is having this experience. I've had similar experiences like this in the Pentecostal church. So I know how incredibly deceptive the devil can be. He's very good at what he does. I wanted time to stop, so I never had to leave the moment. I knew God was changing my life and healing my body. I also knew inside my spirit I had a choice to receive what God was doing for me or to reject what He was doing for me. No one told me that. I just knew. End of quote. Okay, now, if this is all you had to go by in Catherine Kuhlman's ministry, you'd say, wow, you know, that's pretty amazing. Uh, And I'm not saying God can't heal people the Lord Jesus Christ. But if it's going to be done, it's going to be done in a biblical way. And he's not going to use some unbiblically qualified person that never had any right to be up in a pulpit in order to accomplish this. And again, we've already looked at all her other stuff that she's, she's been into. Now, with respect to the claims of Kuhlman's miracles, William Nolan, M.D., in his 1974 book, Healing, A Doctor's Search of, of a Miracle, noted, quote, Finally it was over. There were still long lines of people waiting to get in, getting on to stage and claim their cures, but at 5 o'clock, with a hymn and final blessing, the show ended. Mrs. Coolman left the stage and the audience left the auditorium. Nolan continues, before going back to talk to Mrs. Coolman, I spent a few minutes watching the wheelchair patients leave. All the desperately ill patients who had been in wheelchairs were still in wheelchairs. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought that that woman saw two angels at the thing. I thought that she had all these warm and fuzzies. I thought that all these people were there and they were all going to get healed. Why, if this was really going on, when this, when this man, this William Nolan, this MD, who was, who was wanting to document this, he says, before going back to talk to Ms. Kuhlman, I spent a few minutes watching the wheelchair patients leave. All the desperately ill patients who had been in wheelchairs were still in wheelchairs. Just like old Benny Hinn, he could push all the wheelchairs up there that he wants. Okay? That's a big scam too if you look into that further. In fact, the man with the kidney cancer in his spine and hip, the man whom I had helped to the auditorium and who had borrowed his wheelchair, brought to the stage and shown to the audience. This is the wheelchair scam. This man had kidney cancer in his spine and in his hip, the man whom I helped to the auditorium. This guy personally helped this guy in, who had borrowed his wheelchair, brought to the stage, shown to the audience, when he claimed a cure. Why? Because of all the endorphins flowing through him. Endorphins, adrenaline, epipenephrine, all these things that that can do wonders for a time period, for a temporary time. He claimed a cure, but now he was back in that same wheelchair. But they had already wheeled the wheelchair up on stage. Well, now he's back in it. Because all those hormones wore off. His cure, even if only a hysterical one, had been extremely short-lived. As I stood in the corridor watching the hopeless cases leave, seeing the tears of the parents as they pushed their crippled children to the elevators, this woman is going to be so incredibly accountable. Anybody that does this type of work you know how many people do you know how many, peop, you know how many f- much faith they're they're causing a lot of people to fall away in other words now these people would have probably fallen away anyway but the point is is they're the source of this many times these televangelists that take people's money these people lead the same way that, that they went in they're they're putting them to whom much is given much is required they're putting themselves in a very very precarious position in regard to the lord jesus christ Then it says, uh, I wish Miss Kuhlman had been there with me to see all these people leaving. Oh no, she was long gone. Probably counting her till. She had complained a couple of times during the service of, quote, the responsibility. The enormous responsibility. You know what? That enormous responsibility, enormous responsibility, God never, ever, ever called her to. She took it upon herself, being the devil that she was. And how of her heart aches for those that weren't cured. But I wondered how often she had really looked at them. I wondered whether she sincerely felt that the joy of those cured of bursitis and arthritis compensated for the anguish of those left with withered legs. I'm not even going to give her that much credit. I'm not saying God can't do it. Okay, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't. But I'm saying that, again, we've made our point here. So the joy of those that cured of arthritis and and bursitis compensated for the anguish of those left with withered legs or embellished children. And and again, go back to these people that have arthritis and bursitis a day, a week, or a month later and see if they really got cured. I mean, if they really got cured of arthritis, like in the hands, you get these things called Heberden's nodules, these big knots in the the end of the fingers. Are you telling me all those disappeared? Can you show me before and after pictures of those Heberden nodules? Because that's very apparent. That's that's a lot more apparent than having a tumor in the body. Because you can see those through the skin. Well, they should be gone. Totally gone. Well, if they're not totally gone, and they say, oh, I don't have any more pain in my hands, (laughs) endorphin release, adrenal, adrenaline, epipenephrine, these types of things. Here's another thing. In rock concerts... It's been well known for a long time, certain rock concerts, they have what they call satanic altar calls. Where these rock stars will come up and say, give your, like we would have an altar call for salvation, they will come up and say, well, give your life to Satan. Okay? And people will go up and actually get healed at these services. There's actually been some healings that have occurred. How do you explain that? Well, somebody actually does get healed let's say they got they really got healed let's say it was beyond the adrenaline the epinephrine and these types of things don't you understand that when you look in the bible many of the people that jesus dealt with that had physical abnormalities the reason they had the physical abnormalities is because they were demon possessed or they had a demon of an, a spirit of infirmity remember jesus told them this kind this kind of demon goeth not out but by prayer and fasting there were people that had certain physical problems like the you know the guy that had the seizures and these types of things, it was a demonic problem causing the physical end of it. If you were Satan, and you had somebody coming up from a Satanic altar call, and their problem was primarily demonic, how hard would it be for Satan to, quote, call off the dogs for, let's say, a day, let's say a week, let's say a month, whatever, maybe maybe let's say permanently. If he can get your soul, and he can get you sold out to him, and he can get you as a satanic poster boy walking around saying, I got healed by Satan, and I went to church and I couldn't get healed. What is that for Satan to do? Now, ultimately he has to get God's permission to do such a thing. It's a deception. But do you think if Satan could do that, he would? He does do it. What better place to prove that than a, than a, than a, a satanic altar call a rock concert, somebody getting healed? Just something to think about. These are things just to think about. I'm not going to sit here and be absolutely 100% dogmatic about every little single thing that I say because the Bible says we see through a glass but darkly. I'm trying with my experience and from what I've studied about in the occult and these false religions, I'm trying from a biblical standpoint to rationalize what is actually going on here. Because there has to be an explanation. And there is, if you think about it. So, if we go back to this, um, I wonder whether she she sincerely felt that the joy of those cured of bursitis and arthritis compensated for the anguish of those left with withered legs, their embellished children, their cancers of the liver. I wondered if she really knew what damage she was doing. Now what does this also imply? This implies that well, God can heal some of the lesser cases but he can't heal the big guy. You know, he's not capable of that. You know, that's what this kind of implies here. And he said, I wondered if she really knew what damage she was doing. I couldn't believe that she did. Oh, well, she was being used mightily by Satan. So then it says, Dr. Nolan and others claim that after extensive research and follow-up checks, despite the widely reported claims, there has not been one certified case of a miracle being attributed to Catherine Kuhlman's ministry. This is a doctor that did research on this, that wrote a whole book on this. Okay. Now, let's talk about Benny Hinn. Perhaps it's not surprising that one of Kuhlman's leading apostles is none other than Benny Hinn, who claims that while attending one of Kuhlman's healing crusades in 1973, he experienced a life-changing moment. Now, this is very true I've heard Benny talk about, good old Catherine, many times. Benny Hinn incidentally claims that besides being visited by Jesus... Oh, Jesus visited him. Hmm. I thought Jesus was coming back in the clouds for his saints and stuff like that. But evidently, Jesus had a personal sit-down with Benny Hinn, supposedly. Now, if Jesus Christ really did appear to Benny Hinn, why didn't he rebuke and upbraid him for his heresy and his apostasy? Because it was an angel of light spirit. And the Bible says it's no marvel if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Whether those ministers are human agents, or whether they're fallen angelic agents, or demonic agents. They're masters of deception, and that's what they do, and that's what they do best. That always gets me. Why, why if they've supposedly had all these visitations by good angels, and Jesus himself, and all these... Why, why aren't the good angels quoting the Bible to, to these people? Why aren't they rebuking them and saying, you're leading people to hell? Repent, now. No, 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 no. It's always flowery. It's always, oh, you're doing a great job, Benny. We're with you. Yeah. That tells me right there that they're not of God. Now, am I saying God can't do that? I'm not saying God can't send a good angel to convey a message. He did it with Gabriel. He was a messenger angel. I'm just saying, in today's day and age, you better really check it against the word of God. Because they're not going to tell you something contradictory to the Word of God. And if you're in total error and apostasy and living like the devil, and they ignore all of that, and tell you and slap you on the back and say, you're doing good and you're going to do even greater things for God. Give me a break. It doesn't make any sense. So, Benny Hinn... Incidentally claims that besides being visited by Jesus, the old, and the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Oh, that's interesting. Kind of like necromancy, kind of like talking to the dead. Well, yeah, exactly like that. Because what other, what other things did he do? He's been visited by Jesus Christ, Elijah, and others, and that Kuhlman has made her appearance several times to speak to him from beyond the grave. Wow, Brother Johnson, how do you explain that? Easily. It's called necromancy. It's called a spear that's totally forbidden and was punishable by death in the Old Testament. Death. If you were a necromancer, if you communicated... It was a death sentence. If you got into this witchcraft stuff, the astrology and all the... including horoscopes and things like that, you know? It's essentially a death sentence for you if you were caught doing this. Yeah, but but how could how could Catherine Kuhlman if she actually appeared to Benny Hinn, and it looked like her and it sounded like her and and, and, and it acted every way, shape or form like Catherine Kuhlman, how well how do you explain that? Easily. They're called familiar spirits. The Bible talks about them. The witch of Endor had a familiar spirit. What is a familiar spirit? It is a spirit that's familiar with your habits. With you. It's a familiar spirit because it's hung around you your whole life. And studied you. And when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Period. There's no reincarnation. There's no coming back as a dung beetle until you get it right. This whole thing about karma and all this other stuff, reincarnation, it's all lie from the pit of hell. These familiar spirits are intimately familiar with you. And when they come back, and when if they physically manifest, they will look just like, in a spirit body, that person whom they were familiar with. And their voice will sound just like that person you were familiar with. And this is one of the main ways people are going to hell. Because they supposedly had a visitation from dear Aunt Ethel. And Aunt Ethel came back from beyond the grave, even though she lived like the devil, or she was a good Catholic. And says, oh, I'm in a better place now. I just went toward the light, and everything's all good and rosy. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Aunt Ethel is in hell. And that's a familiar spirit that was familiar with Aunt Ethel, with her voice. And with her life. And they're coming back, selling you a bill of goods, so you'll go to hell too. Because Satan wants as much company in the lake of fire as possible. That's his goal. Period. That's why, if you want to boil all of this deception down, what is the ultimate goal of Satan? To get you into the lake of fire, ultimately? Hell first, lake of fire second. Okay, hell first, great white throne judgment, lake of fire. Now, d- d- I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. I'm just saying that's what the goal is. Does it make sense to you now, how this happens? What is that for Satan? If he could transform himself into an angel of light, w- meaning he can come to you as this wonderful-looking, perfect-looking thing, like I talked about the other night, a lot of times these aliens will manifest as what they call the Nordics. They'll come, and they come as these blonde-haired, blue-eyed, absolutely perfect physically in every attribute, and they come to you and they have this nice flowery message about peace and love. And that we actually created you. We're, we're the gods of old and these types of things. Satan is incredibly good at what he does. And he, and he goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he, whom he may devour. That's his goal. That's his agenda. So, supposedly, Kuhlman's spoken to old, good old Benny several times from beyond the grave. Hinn's own miracle tours have become legendary with obvious similarities to Kuhlman's crusades. He patterned his ministry after Catherine Kuhlman. Several months ago, Hinn brought his traveling, healing dog and pony road show to an assembly of God. Quote, Signs and Wonders Conference. Oh, wow. I should have said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a Sign and Wonders Conference. Why didn't they name it that? Huh? Huh? That would have been a more apropos name, don't you think? Oh well. They must have shortened it to Signs and Wonders Conference because they couldn't get the whole "Wicked and Adulterous Generation Seeketh After a Sign" on the on the placard out front. Sorry. So he had he had his road show at the Old Assembly of God Signs and Wonders Conference in Springfield, Missouri, which is where the which is where the Assemblies of God is actually headquartered at Springfield, Missouri. Isn't that right, Doug? Yeah. yeah. Um, At the conclusion of the service, this writer, along with a colleague, waited at the church's auditorium's two exits, watching to see how many empty wheelchairs left the building. Isn't that a fair assessment? If people go in in a wheelchair, we should have all kinds of empty wheelchairs coming out. Right? According to that article, although dozens of occupied wheelchairs made their way from the crusade, not a single empty one passed through either of the two exits. Not one! Not only is what the television audience sees edited, what the live audience sees is also carefully staged. This is like a big choreography of deception when you go to these things. Those who are terribly deformed, children with Down syndrome, amputees, and the like, are kept from the stage and out of the sight of the TV cameras. Now, if these persons were really doing what they said they were going to be doing, according to the Bible, when things when it talks about, like in the Bible, where Jesus went around, did you ever see Jesus go around and, and, and heal somebody and the healing didn't take, or he didn't? When Jesus Christ did it, or when the apostles did it, it worked. It worked every time, okay? Now I understand there's certain things that could hinder a person getting a healing, okay? But these people are doing it and they're not getting it right virtually none of the time. And yet still people are falling for this stuff hook, line, and sinker. If God is going to do it, the point is, if God going to do it, it's going to be healing, it's going to be maintained, and it's going to be real. Okay? They can't do that here. Not one single person went in there like this. Now, do I think that God can't do this? I absolutely think God can heal the worst of the worst of the worst. He created the universe. I do. I think that'd be great. That would be a great way to be used of God, don't you think? Could you imagine? Okay, I'm going to use you to heal. What would be the first thing I would do personally? I would go into the hospitals. From room to room to room. I'm not saying we deserve that in America, though. I think we deserve judgment, personally. I really do. Because this is a wicked and adulterous generation. We are being sent deception because we deserve that. And the Bible says that my people love to have it so... Now I'm not preaching to so much to the people that are listening to this broadcast. I'm saying as a general whole, we, in particularly America, we deserve whatever we get. We deserve judgment. We've slaughtered millions of babies. The church has set aside and virtually done nothing. They've let sodomy and all this stuff take over. They've, they have not been salt and light. They have basically become spineless pansies in the pulpit. And we deserve what we get. But it would be a wonderful thing to be used of the Lord in this way. I'm not saying He couldn't do it. But if you were really a man of God, and you were given this gift, personally what I would do, is I would go and I would start going to the worst of the worst. Wherever the Lord led me, I guess is what I would say. And it wouldn't be to some big crusade where they're going to get a whole bunch of money and do this. I don't remember Jesus charging for his healings. Or the apostles. When it got to the point where, you know, Peter's shadow was going across people and and handkerchiefs were being taken to people and they were being healed. I don't remember them getting some big bankroll going. Wasn't it Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I will give unto you? But yet he was doing these healings. Why didn't he have all this money? Like all these other guys that aren't even healing people. Something to think about. Now, if you did it that way, if you did it and you did not charge, and you did not have a hidden agenda, and you truly wanted to help people, and God worked through you like he did the apostles, and I'm, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying, if that were to happen. God would get the glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, especially if you went out of your way to give the Lord Jesus Christ the glory. This, hey, this isn't about me. I'm all in being used as a conduit. That's not happening at these crusades. The man is getting the glory. The ministry is getting the glory. And they're also getting a lot of the money. So, if we go further... Um, Continuing, this article notes that Carol McGraw of the Orange County, California Register discovered this painful reality when she reported on Jordan Sheehan. Jordan, at the time of her report, was a two-year-old who suffered severe brain damage as a result of a fire. He was in a coma for two months. He cannot swallow, talk, or move. Jordan's parents and grandparents thought that if they could get the child to Benny Hinn's healing crusade and have him prayed over... The miraculous would surely come upon the child, but according to, to McGraw's report, Jordan never experienced the miraculous touch from him. And he and his family were cautiously kept from the stage. Hey, they don't want those those hard cases. They know they're charlatans. They know they are. Now, this is all referenced that when I'm reading you here. Um... What with this history, it's no surprise that Kuhlman is a new age diva with an influence that continues to be felt long after her death in 1976 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, following open heart surgery. I guess Benny wasn't around to lay hands on her. Now, if we go a little bit further with the whole thing on Benny Hinn, there's an article here... um, in Dave Hunt's CIB bulletin from 1992, it's entitled, Beware of the Charismatic Leader Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn also visits, Benny Hinn visits Catherine Kuhlman and Amy Supplement McPherson's graves for the anointing. That's what they, Catholics and, or not Catholics, Charismatics and Pentecostals love to use that word anointing. They, they, they want to go there for the anointing. And he goes to their graves for this anointing this power that he gets in order to fuel his ministry that he calls from the Lord. Why would you go to a gravesite of a dead person, of an apostate, reprobate, two different dead people who were hellbound. and took a whole bunch of people to hell with them, Catherine Kuhlman and Amy Semple McPherson, who was the start of Four Square Church, we're going to talk about her in a second. Why would you go to their graves? And what biblical verse can you give me? what? Well, like, like when that one guy touched Elijah's bones and he, and, he, and he came back to life? That's probably the only verse in the Bible that he could use to do that. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, the secret to Benny Hinn's power is his peculiar anointing, which he connects with Catherine Kuhlman and Amy McPherson, founder of the Foursquare Gospel Church. He felt, he first felt quote, the full power of the Holy Spirit on him at the Coleman meeting in 1973. And her mantle has presumably fallen upon him. You know, like Elijah and, and Elisha. You know. Well, her her mantle has fallen on... I don't dispute that one bit. See, when these people die, it's well known in the occult, if you're, if you're into generational witchcraft. I don't think I've ever said this before. But if you're in generational witchcraft and your dad dies and you're a generational witchcraft, it's well known that at the same time this person dies, you better be on the lookout because you're probably going to get a more a boatload full of demons. Because the Bible says when, when demons pass out of the body, they seek a body in which to have it. And it talks about they go through dry places in the desert and things like that, seeking out a body. Well, if you have a generational witchcraft background and your dad dies, those devils, they got to go somewhere And they just don't want to go hang out. They want to occupy another body. Who better than the children of the person that died? If there's open doors there, they go to them. That's an interesting little point. But from from me studying the occult, that's absolutely what happens. So, this mantle had presumably fallen upon him. Who better? Who better? The same devils that, that... emanated and operated through Coolman, said, Hey, we gotta go get we gotta go to the next guy. Benny Hinn's probably the best subject there is. Now I'm not saying she was related to Benny Hinn, but I'm saying he was there wouldn't have been a better candidate. And then you look at the fruit of his ministry as evidence of that. And then it says he conducts his meetings almost exactly like hers. Although it takes Hinn much longer to get his audience into the expectant mood that seems to generate psychosomatic miracles. And again, they, they say psychosomatic. A lot of this is. It's, it's just totally created in the mind. combination of endorphin release, adrenaline, epipenephrine, these types of things. In April 7, 1991, Sermon, Hinn revealed that he periodically visits Kuhlman's grave and that he is one of the few with a key to gain access to it. He also visits Amy's grave where he says, I felt a terrific anointing. I was shaking all over, trembling under the power of God. Dear God, I feel the anointing. I've heard him say that so many times. I feel the anointing. Where does it say that in the New Testament? And then he says, I believe the anointing has lingered all over Amy's body. Is that... We're talking necromancy 101, communicating with the dead, trying to garner spirits from dead bodies? Oh, that's okay, because as long as it feels right, Benny's going to do it. Doesn't matter if it has no basis in Scripture. Well, I'm already into the third, we're going to be going into the third hour here. So I'm going to go ahead and stop here, and we'll we'll finish up this uh, teaching in the next part.